and be sure to access the link in this episode for access to all its giving content. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of It's Giving, where we discuss the latest in TV and film. This is your host, Brandon the Introvert, and we are here to discuss the White Lotus season two finale. I literally just, like, just finished the episode, the, the finale, and I marinated on it for about 10 to 15 minutes. I've watched, I've rewatched like all the other episodes. So I feel like I have a firm grasp on the stories of everyone. So we're just gonna go down the line of each of the characters. Like I feel like where they started and when where we ended in terms of their development and their story. And um, yeah, I'm probably just gonna talk about the show as a whole. So let's start off. Who should we start off with? Let's start off with the trio. And this is just going to be a quick spitfire. Like, this is quick, 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 quick. So, Bert, Bert DeGrasso, the grandfather of the trio, he represents kind of that old school womanizing, a man does what he has to do kind of rhetoric, kind of perspective with the other two and his son Dominic who's like the rich sex addicted Hollywood executive he seems to have picked up his traits but seems as though he wants to get out of it like it's 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 a it's a curse and I'm gonna get to that in a minute but he he wants to stop having sex with like young women he wants to be faithful to his wife but he just seems to like unable to be faithful to his wife and According to him, you know, he he didn't learn how to love a woman. He didn't learn, learn how to love a woman because his frame of his model was his father who didn't really teach him these things. So Dominic is kind of he's like his father, but he's trying not to be like his father. And then we have the son where he is this seemingly innocent young boy and not boy. He seems like college age, but he doesn't want to be like his father or his grandfather. He wants to treat women with respect. He wants to uphold them. He wants to put them in high esteem. He's kind of disgusted and disappointed and embarrassed by his father and his grandfather, especially with the way they treat, well, more so with the way they treat women, especially with how he, Dominic, his father, uh, treats the mom. But we see over the span of the story, Dominic got with Lucia, then Albie kind of had this like affair with Lucia and ends up falling for her and then ends up getting played. Now, Dominic, after Lucia, he doesn't have much action in his story, except for I, I feel like after that, the biggest thing that he did was transfer that 50000 to Lucia in exchange for Albie to put in a good word with Abby, uh, Dominic's wife and Albie's mom, which works. And we see Albie, I don't know if Lucia playing him kind of changed him or he just kind of realized how the game works, like the game of sex and the game of money and kind of, I feel like ironic, ultimately he protected his father and he protected his father by obviously not telling the mom, like telling the mom what the mom wanted to hear. And not, of course, I'm confident he didn't mention anything about Lucia, didn't mention anything about hooking up with like sex workers while on the vacation. I promise you, he didn't say none of that. So it seems like he's protecting his father and in doing so, really kind of warping the truth to his mom. And I'm sure that's what was probably done countless of times from Dominic, countless of times with the grandfather towards his wife. And we see even though his wife was him, the grandfather and his wife who died is was together until she died. It seems like she was still unhappy, but in a way they all kind of end up at the same point on the same page, I would say by the end, like in that scene with the woman passing at the airport and they all turn around, all three of them turn around. And the grandfather, I think he just accepted it. Like, this is just how life is for a man. And, um, but I don't think they will ever address the fact that they have that power and privilege to 
as a man, especially as a wealthy man, to kind of just the world is their playground and they have no consequences at the end of the day. I mean, the wife was trying to leave, but Albie kind of lied for his father. So it was kind of this like good boys type of team, good boys mentality where the bro code where we look after each other and we do what we need to do to um, keep the shit intact, I guess. So it's very interesting. I think Albie turned out to be like his grandfather and like his father. I can see him from now on that kind of doing this like whole like innocent routine. Like, let me be cute. Cause he saw where that got him. Like we, we saw, he saw where that got him being innocent, being sweet, being nice. We see that's not going to get the girl's attention as evident with Portia and Jack. And we see he he's nice. Not only does Portia, Portia was disinterested. Lucia got $50,000. Like he should have saw that a mile away. But Lucia got $50,000, played his ass, and played him the entire time. Like the entire time. So I think he's like, fuck nice, fuck innocent, fuck this. Like what the grandfather said, like women aren't innocent either. I feel like women have their own, I don't want to say tricks, but women have their own motives and intentions as well. Like they're just not going to sit here and be a victim. And we're going to talk about Daphne too. But I feel like that's what we've seen throughout the series, kind of women using their sexuality to get what they want, men using their power to get what they want, and women not making themselves a victim to men at the end of the day, getting what they need out of the man, but making sure their power isn't taken in the process, doing what they have to do to get what they need, knowing that men are weak to them. So I feel like we saw that through a lot of characters, uh, Mia, Lucia, Daphne, Harper, kind of. Um, so women aren't, like what the grandfather said, women aren't completely innocent either. I feel like it's kind of this toxic, like, you play me, so I'm going to play you. And we can coexist by doing that. Or you have maybe a woman that is just a complete victim. And like I feel like, like Dominic's wife, where the nigga's just going to keep cheating and cheating and cheating while she can't really do much about it. And especially given the fact that he's wealthy, a wealthy executive, I'm sure for Abby, and she sounded very tormented. We saw when he called her and I do believe Dominic does love his wife. I'm just going all over the place with the, the three, because I feel like all of them are connected and play, play at each other in terms of like their story so I feel like with Albie doing all that, Abby kind of changed up Brad. I mean, he's a rich nigga. I'm sure she's like she's in torment because she loves him and I know he loves her, but the ending told me that he probably will get into the same shit, to be honest. And it's kind of a men will be men type of thing. He always he already was kind of leaning towards the grandfather, but then Albie was trying to I feel like Albie's influence had him kind of partially lean on that side too with trying to be a better person and stuff and trying to withhold his urges and trying to just be a better man but then i think there's another part where it's like mm, i'm just gonna swing my dick around and just keep it tight this time in terms of like my affairs and stuff like that so i i think overall though i didn't really find i mean it was interesting i like the generational type of thing that was cute, but and I think uh, Bert DeGrasso, he was really, really good. I love, I loved every time he was talking and stuff. But F. Murray Abraham, Abraham, I believe. But um, their story in general just was like meh. Like it wasn't like I found myself like entertained enough, but not entertained. If that makes sense, like I their story wasn't the worst because I think there was a lot of like like interesting things back and forth between them, especially the conversations they had with each other. I felt like that was illuminating with a lot. And it was like a cool discourse to see like kind of that old school perspective. And then like the son of somebody that was old school and then the son, like just kind of a new age, like modern times type of perspective. So I think, I think, learning from all of that was the the fruit of it all i don't think it was more so like let me like 
it was an entertainment factor, but I feel like I learned more so from the discourse and how they ended up than more than anything. And I appreciated that. And also just thinking about it now, like with Albie having this fake, like quasi social justice, like, you know, the Godfather and all of that, like it's a little crude treating women that way. Maybe this is how men are. And maybe y'all need to change your ways. Like he was just completely like kind of not just downplaying, but just trying to viewed the grandfather and his father as kind of like a a stain in a way that didn't need to be acknowledged and needed to just be wiped away. But now we see he ended up like all of them at the end of the day. And not to mention the fact he's a very privileged boy. He's very privileged. So I think he's going, he's learning that he can do whatever the fuck he wants and he doesn't need to be nice and he can do whatever the fuck he wants <laughs> pretty much. But overall, like those three, it was cute. It was cute. I think what the grandfather said about Achilles cock is the Achilles of niggas. And I think they just give into that. And he views it as it, it's a curse, but it's a curse that he just lit. He learns to live with and just embrace it instead of trying to suppress it and or trying to pretend that's not you. You know what I mean? And and try to be this whole other persona, like what he said, being brainwashed. So I think Albie definitely gave a realistic perspective of how new age people are. Like they try to have this umbrella or cover of like them being feminists and be them being, I, I feel like he wasn't trying, like he wasn't outwardly saying I'm a feminist or anything like that, but it was definitely like quasi feminism, like we can't treat women this way. We can't do this. We can't do that. Blah, 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 blah. But ends up being like the father and the grandfather at the end of the day in a lot of different ways. So I, I think they just learned to, this is just a curse and damn, we just got to live with it. Now, uh, let's talk about Lucia and Mia. So we see Lucia and Mia, they started out as, well, Lucia, we see she's a sex worker waiting on one of her clients to come off the boat. We find out it's Dominic. And we have Mia, who recently had, I think, broke up. They, her and her boyfriend broke up, and she's just really heartbroken. And she is kind of a little bit of a foil to Lucia. Like, Mia is more of a innocent she's she's innocent she's she's naive a little bit in a way and she wants to be a singer and we see throughout the series this season her goal is to just she just wants to sing on the piano like i think in her mind getting to that step i don't know if it would lead to other things i don't know if she wants to be a commercial singer but i think her immediate goal right now is to just be on that piano. And we see she learns to Lucia just about using your sexuality to get what you want, using your charm to get what you want and what you need out of life. After seeing that Lucia is getting paid, like she's getting paid to be with these men. And Mia finds it excellent business model because she views it as you go into it knowing what's going to happen, knowing what's going to come out of it. There's no bullshit. There's no there's no guy trying to pretend he's a good guy. And even though he just wants sex with you, there's um, money involved. There's an uh, agreement. There's an agreement. You know what's going to happen. So I think she uses this business model to her advantage. And we see her apply it with the the piano singer. He ended up losing his job. Uh, well, he ended up getting drugged, but I don't think that was on purpose. But she, I think in her mind, she was like, okay, if I fuck him, then maybe I can get on the piano. And then she ends up shifting towards Valentina to get on the piano. She ends up getting what she wants, using Valentina to get to the piano. And she's a good singer. She's a better singer than the guy. So she ends up getting what she wants. And we just see her be completely satisfied. And she kind of taps into this kind of like, more wild a wild side of her or I don't even want to call it wild but like she becomes a risk taker she becomes a player in that type of sex and using people and just a player in the game I would say and Lucia she claimed that her 
dream was to go to LA. But we see that at the end of the season, she just has the 50,000. I think she ends up staying in Italy, Sicily with uh, Mia. So I don't know if she's just going to keep using niggas, um, especially now that Mia is a singer at the White Lotus. So, you know, still using that revenue, having Valentino on their side now. Uh, maybe they just say, maybe this is just profitable. So I, and I, I think, was Albie expecting her to go with him? I think that might have been a thing too, but we see she uses her friend to act like she he's her pimp. And it's obvious that, because throughout the beginning when we met her, there was no, um, we saw she wasn't paying no money to nobody. Like all the money went to her. So she kind of preyed on the guy's innocence and wealth and kind of flipped that narrative or flip the belief that all whores get punished at the end. And we see at the end, like they actually live like pretty good. They live happily ever after pretty much. So, or at least they have a good ending. So Lucia, I feel like there wasn't much depth to, I feel like Mia might've had a little more depth, but I think in terms of Lucia, besides like playing him, I feel like there wasn't too much. I think she was just a good player at the game. I do believe at some point she did feel bad for Albie, but she had to look out for herself because, I mean, at the end of the day, these niggas are going to look out for themselves. So I think she just used her advantage and to get what she wanted at the end of the day. I think that was pretty much her story, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else with her, but I think that was pretty much using these men, knowing that, men have the curse where it's they're a slave to the pussy. Ooh, that was nice. They a slave to vagina. <laughs> so, and, oh, and she gets her money from Cameron, which I didn't expect. I thought he was going to be broke, but I didn't understand the not paying her immediately. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't, I thought there was going to be like, oh, he's broke or, you know, like something to it, but it ended up, he just had the money in general. Like I thought he was going to be broke like the gays. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like I feel like besides using Albie and fucking Dominic and fucking Cameron, it's also interesting that she got with the men the Vero men, I guess, if you want to say the main characters, the men besides Ethan, besides Ethan. So, yeah, it wasn't too much to Lucia. But now we are at the couple. So they are also kind of interplaying with each other. Uh, we have Daphne and Cameron and then Ethan and Harper. And we see them at the beginning. Ethan is kind of this, like, nonchalant kind of oblivious type of nerd and he came recently came into money selling his startup company so he's making a lot of money now um coming into new money and harper is this uh what i think employment lawyer or something like that and she's really she's the best at her firm and she's very straight laced she's very like you know she's very capricorn she's very rigid in a lot of different ways. Uh, and we see Daphne. She's definitely a foil. I feel like both of the... that Daphne and Cameron are a foil to Ethan and Harper. Like, Daphne is like a breath of fresh air. She's sunshine. She's happy all the time. Super wealthy. Same with Cameron. Cameron's kind of a douchebag. He's wealthy. Very arrogant. I believe they said he's an investment manager and... Uh, Daphne is a stay-at-home mom, mom. So, yeah, we I, we see immediately they're kind of foils to each other. Now, Cameron seems to also have this kind of sex addiction where he just gets with who he wants to get with. He does what he wants to do, but I do feel like he actually loves Daphne. So it seems like their situation is similar to Dominic and Abby, his wife. And the grandfather and his past wife. But the difference with Daphne and Cameron, I mean, between with those situations, Cameron does what he wants, but so does Daphne. She's not just going to sit here and be bitter and be stressing over no nigga. Like, she's not going to 
just be like, what was me? What was me? When is he ever going to stop? Like, instead of trying to control him, she does what she wants to do. And even a step further plays with Cameron's head, just like he could be playing with her head. So she does what she needs to do to not go insane, which, but still having this facade that they're kind of this like strictly monogamous couple. And like, I don't know. And I kind I feel like they kind of like it, like it like that. So they have a very firm, realistic understanding of each other. I don't think they're just in the open with it. They're just very, it's their shadow side, if you will. Now, Ethan and Harper, they're strictly monogamous. I think they pride themselves on being completely transparent, unlike Daphne and Cameron, which I feel like they're like transparent with each other in terms of their energy, but in terms of their words and like knowing what's going on, they're uh, definitely not. So yeah, we see that's kind of the difference with them. Ethan and Harper, they're very honest with each other, but we see Ethan just, he's just not attracted to, he's not attracted to Harper at all. And I believe it's because like, there's just no fun in the relationship and she's very controlling and she doesn't, give him space to breathe so i think he's just not attracted to that but he still doesn't veer off and does what he wants to do but as we see as the season progresses we see the couples get really intermixed with each other cameron is definitely like the first time when they were in that dressing room and he had his dick out while changing while harper was in the room it was just him and harper and ethan didn't do anything Uh, Which is crazy because it's like you got upset thinking that they hooked up, but you didn't get upset that his dick was out while your wife was there. And she was obviously uncomfortable with that. So and you did nothing. So I think in a way it was kind of both of their faults. Like he was he I do believe they love each other, but he kind of like he wasn't owning up to the fact that he wasn't attracted and wasn't trying to figure out why. I think he was just going through the motions, which made Harper unhappy and sexually unsatisfied. On the other hand, Harper was also very controlling and didn't really allow himself to be himself in the way Daphne allows Cameron to be himself. So I think that those, that, that issue just started to manifest in a lot of different ways with Harper just allowing Cameron to make these advances like when he was touching up on her leg and or Cam Harper acting on her dissatisfaction and then Ethan kind of trying to do this bro code thing in the way that Albie did for Dominic. Ethan doing this bro code thing for Cameron kind of trying not to be transparent with his wife and then causing Harper this paranoia and then Harper kind of uh, messing around with Cameron and then lying to it was just I think they weren't being real with each other in the real way I think they at, at once prided themselves on being transparent but they weren't being real with each other so I think through those like dalliances through those little lies of omission and all that I think that caused the problem and it just inflated it and inflated it and inflated it and caused that blow up with Ethan and Cameron, or it caused that uh, low key meltdown that Harper had when she thought that Ethan was cheating. So I feel like the end of the day, Daphne learned, they both learned from Daphne, who, when confronted with Cameron messing around, she deals, she handles it with the way she handles it. And she, we see she has a trainer that she fucks on the side. And Fans have been saying that because she said the trainer has like blonde hair and stuff. Uh, when she was trying to show the picture to Harper, it was a picture of her baby who was also blonde. So we don't know. Maybe that's the trainer's child. And it's it's funny. The last episode when the baby was just like, where's daddy? Where's daddy? And she shows him. It was like, I, I just kept thinking in the back of my head, the trainer, your daddy. So we see Daffy kind of gives them this psychological out for their psyche for their peace of mind i do believe daphne and ethan hooked up at that aisle or whatever i do believe she saw the hurt in ethan i do believe 
she felt a way that Cameron was messing around with Harper. So what Daphne does is get even and takes the power back. And I think that's what Ethan did. And I think that's what Harper did using the advice from Daphne to then go and do a little something with her husband. So they were all low key in an orgy just at different times and different places. I, I feel like because they had that taking back of power, I believe it allowed Ethan and Harper to be real with each other. And eventually it seems like they're happy. They're like, they're, they're intimate now. Like they finally fucked. I think through Cameron and Daphne, they were ironically able to, through that kind of messing around with them, they were ironically were able to get back on the same page or if they, I don't know if they were on the same page to begin with, but kind of reignite their relationship. Um, So it speaks to a lot about just like affairs. And like I said, speaking like in connection with the trio, the generational trio, the DeGrasso trio, just affairs and the reality of affairs. And it brings you up to think like, are men just like this? Can men change? Are they able to change? Should the wife just do her if the nigga's going to do her? Should there just be a transparent, open relationship? Is it, do people just want a facade of a monogamous relationship? You know, it brings up all of these things into question. If both are doing, like, doing them, can you still be happy at the end of the day in the long run? Or is that true happiness? Like, should relationships only be confined to you only be with this one person for the rest of your life? Or should a relationship be where you're not really controlling each other i do feel like the ways in which all of them did it was very toxic like if i had a partner was an open relationship i would want it to be transparent i feel like sometimes people want a facade of a monogamous relationship even though in the reality is one or maybe all the partners are kind of doing them so but if it works for them it works for them at the end of the day is it like the best way to go about things i personally don't think so but I feel like if it works for you, it works for you. Now, let's talk about Valentina. Valentina was like a little side story. I enjoyed every minute with Valentina. I, from the beginning, from her introduction in the season to the ending, like I enjoyed her whole little arc. Now, this one had to deal with sexuality and just confining that sexuality and how that can just affect you. Like we see Harper was dissatisfied in a way and ended up being bitter, but Daphne chose to not be bitter. I, even though the, that is different from Valentina, but I do feel like that's the same kind of concept or same kind of uh, path. Like if you confine a certain part or you not satisfy in a certain way, then it's going to, and if you kind of not choose to do what's best for you and what you want to do, you might become unhappy with yourself. And we saw Valentina was very, very unhappy because she's gay, but just hasn't been with a woman before. So, uh, but we see after her chakras all got open, she was kind and she, and we see with the feeding with the cats, when kindness was shown to her from, uh, damn, I forgot the receptionist name with the nice smile. I forgot her name, but we see she's a kind person technically like deep down but she's just unhappy with life and she took it out on the people by just being super controlling of everybody else and making everybody else's lives like shitty you know so but i still enjoyed her being like shitty to everybody i still enjoyed it we see she was just suppressing her sexuality at the end of the day i one could say Mia used her, but I do think Mia definitely belonged on that piano. One could say that, but I do think Mia was also like there for her, you know, like suggesting or offering to take her to gay clubs and stuff with her and Lucia. So I don't think Mia, she technically used her for that piano, but I I, I feel like I, I just didn't view it as a full on use. Like I feel like she was patient and she got her through her first sexual experience, got Valentina through her first sexual experience. And we saw with Valentina just being free, she freed herself. So 
I just liked her whole arc. I, I really enjoyed it. I thought she was going to get fired. But I feel like in Italy, they don't be caring like that in the way, like, America cares about certain shit. But, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I feel like there wasn't much to say because it was kind of this side thing. But I think it was interesting. We saw the manager at se- the season one, Armando, or Armand. He was gay and Valentina's gay. So I kind of like that. I don't know if season three will we'll see a gay hotel manager. But I like that. I really do like that. I also haven't seen a gay, like, two gay women in a commercial show. And not just two young women just (laughs) kissing, like, here and there. Like, I see that. Like, we see that all the time. But, like, actual, like, this is her first time. Like, actually, like, some seriousness to it. It's not just to, like, get niggas horny or just the scene isn't meant to be hot. I think it was a very intimate, vulnerable scene for Valentina. Like this was her first time and the way in which uh, the actress, I forget the actress, but the way in which Valentina was, she was like very innocent. Like it felt like she was like 18, you know what I mean? But she's in this grown woman's body. Like it it was given that. Um, So there was some vulnerability to it. Um, Her just letting go and just having fun. Um, I feel like a lot of the elements and just seeing an older woman with a younger woman, I've never seen that before. So that was also pretty interesting to watch and pretty interesting to take in because we really see that. We always see kind of two women around the same age, usually young, and they're just giggling, <laughs> kissing, kissing, haha. And it's usually with a nigga in front sometimes. So I never saw an actual gay, like, two lesbians, actually. I don't even like using the word lesbian. It's it's given outdated. But two gay women, like, getting intimate like that. And it, it, it's not just to make a nigga horny. You know what I mean? So I like that. I, I really like that. I felt like that was something new that I have not seen before on TV. But overall, I love Valentina. She's one of my favorite characters. Now... Uh, with i feel like there was only one last story and i feel like this story i feel like was the most um entertaining out of all of those stories besides maybe mia a little bit and the couples but tanya and portia so we see tanya rich wealthy ass white woman from season one who went to the uh, White Lotus Resort in Hawaii and we see her back in season two. Now she is in Sicily out of the recommendation of Greg who suggests they go to Sicily for a vacation and Tanya brings along Portia. He doesn't want Portia there but he brings along Portia. Uh, she brings along Portia and you know, at first, like, they show up and Greg wasn't her, the husband that she married in season one. Greg wasn't answering her texts or anything. Like, he's treating her like shit. Like, he treated, he's treating her like shit. And we could tell his whole attitude changed up, especially now that he's going to live uh, with the help of the doctors that Tanya got for him. And it's just, it was just very uncomfortable not uncomfortable just sad seeing him shit on her and then all of a sudden having to leave and when he leaves all of a sudden she meets these gay guys she meets these gay guys uh that are seemingly wealthy and begin to include tanya in their lives for the week and they take her to the opera they party on the boat like it's it just it's very it it seems like a very dream like it's very like happy go lucky very fun like tanya's having fun she's feeling appreciated by the gays she's having fun because once greg left she was very lonely and had to rely on portia and also we saw that she got a fortune teller right after greg left and when she heard him over the phone and kind of knows that he might be fooling around. So she goes to fortune teller and the fortune teller says that he's with someone that's very beautiful. And we saw the gay guy talk about how he would die for beauty and do anything for beauty. So I feel like that was definitely connected. 
the I looked up what she was saying in Italian. It seems like uh, when Tani was kicking her out, it seems like she was saying like basically the crazy woman will lead you to suicide or or I think it was interpreted as like basically somebody's gonna die. Um and we see that it was her. That was sad, but we're gonna get to that in a second. So there was just so many signs, I feel like, especially the past episode where Antonia's adventure and Portia's adventure was definitely the scariest. I mean, it was the only scary one out of all of them. Like death was definitely lingering in a way that wasn't really too present. Like Lucia had that fake pimp, whatever. The couple, Ethan was fighting Cameron, tussling under the water. Okay, whatever. But we saw, especially by the time, the fifth episode, sixth episode maybe, Niccolo, Tanya's little boyfriend for the day, for the weekend, had a gun. He's a drug dealer and he's shady. Like They were all shady. And then Greg leaving at a certain time and then the gays being introduced as soon as he left. And then Tanya finding that picture of Greg and the gay guy. Like Obviously... Greg used the gay guys, used this guy to set up Tanya, kill her, get the money, and keep it like that. And we see the gay guy spent most of his money on the villa and the boats and just living a lavish lifestyle. And Greg was probably definitely going to give him a large cut. We hear Jack talk about, like, you know, he's about to run into money. So, and having Jack as like his lackey, his little sex slave as well. And it seems like Jack was probably like destitute at one point. And he came in, took him in and got him out the hole, as Jack says. So, um, yeah, it was just, it was very unsettling. Like seeing the, the him fucking his uncle and stuff like that. The gun, them being out in the middle of the water, the opera. It was just a lot of freaky shit going on. And unfortunately, ironically too, Tanya ended up dying right after being, I feel like, the most self-sufficient she's ever been in her whole entire life. Like she actually, I don't think she sat there and thought of a plan. I think she just, by impulse, kind of like thought of the plan maybe seconds before, but took the bag, got the gun out, and shot who needed to be shot. And rescued herself until she tried to go on the boat and ended up knocking her head and then just drowning in the water. And she ended up being a tragic figure, like of what the gay guy said, like in the uh, uh, Madame Butterfly, whatever opera, Puccini opera. So she did end up being a tragic figure at the end of the day, all this money, but very lonely, had fucked up parents. Like we definitely got more insight into how she grew up with the mom just not we saw season one she just wasn't a great that was an understatement wasn't a mom to her very narcissistic would dress tanya up uh as a doll and shit and like just was doing sick shit to her then the father might have uh molested her and he ended up dying by suicide and she just has always i feel like been chasing comfort and chasing a peace of mind and chase because she's like very like <sighs> like you know and I, that's definitely from her parents and having all the money like that like being a billionaire pretty much you get to do whatever the fuck you want without having to face any consequences so that kind of not learning and not knowing who you are and also always having people after your money and that paranoia behind that. And then you're a white, wealthy, white, wealthy money, white, wealthy woman. You don't learn any lessons. You know what I mean? So in this world, if you have money, then the world is yours. Pretty much. You can do whatever the fuck you want. So she didn't have these rail guards or boundaries, anything. She could do whatever she wanted. But I feel like that led to her having the deepest loneliness, depression, anxiety ever. And at the end, her money, in a way, led to her death. She is easily taken advantage of, easily, she's just very unaware, just very unaware. I feel like any quote-unquote regular person would have been able to kind of be like, okay, this is something shady going on. Like, do you have money? Like, as soon as she saw them fucking the uncle, the uncle and the nephew, 
she should have left. But even before, I think her crave to just be seen and wanted and appreciated, I feel like they gave her all that. The gay guy, even the brought in the, the straight guy, like they all gave her that. So I feel like she she saw these weird things, but chose to ignore them. And down the line, she ended up dying by her own hand. So yeah, so we're, I guess we're just not going to see her season three. I think that was a good move. I I I, I think Jennifer Coolidge was amazing as Tanya season one and two, but I could see it getting like a little okay for season three. You know what I mean? But who knows? Maybe we'll see Portia. Greg is still around. Who knows? Maybe they might continue that into season three to, I guess, do a connecting. Because so far, season one and two are connected through Tanya. So maybe through Portia and Greg, we might see like a season three and maybe the the gay Englishmen survive. And then we saw there were some survivors on the boat. Really, it seemed like one person died. Maybe the Englishman died, but we saw there were survivors, the 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 captain of the ship and the guy that escaped and the guy with the Luigi mustache and all that like so they still survive so who knows what might might happen season three but R.I.P. girl now Portia we see is this very insecure anxious assistant to Tanya like and it seems like she's just another one in the long line of assistants that Tanya has had and probably abused in a certain way. Um, or maybe they abused her because she said they always leave, take her drugs, and she and they end up being the boss of her and whatnot. But yeah, we see Portia's this little assistant. I think she wants more out of life. She wanted adventure. She wanted danger. She wanted to feel alive. And she got her wish in kind of the craziest way possible. At first, she was with Tanya and Greg, of course, told Portia to go back. And we see now that it's because he didn't want any witnesses, didn't want anybody there to help Tanya. Um, but at, we see at, at a point he just still sees Portia. And I think he that's when he probably texted the gay guy to get Jack involved and handle Portia as a distraction. So, yeah, we see Tanya. I mean, Por- uh, Tanya, Tanya, Portia. Uh, she's just very unhappy, uh, is tired of dealing with Tanya and Greg's fucked up relationship. Uh, we see when Tanya tells her to like, tells her to stay close, but just do what you need to do to keep yourself busy or whatever. She doesn't even say all that. She just says, just be out of sight. But we see she's still unhappy. Like if my boss, if I was getting paid, getting, getting paid to be in Sicily, I would not be co-planning and there's so much to do in sicily it's a beautiful like you're in a luxury five-star hotel i would not be so i think in a way Porsche was a little bratty because of that because it's just like girl wake up and look at the life around you like what jack said like you you complain about life and stuff but you don't appreciate life you don't look and see what's in front of you and I think Tanya is kind of the same way. But Portia is like a miniature Tanya in a way in that regard, like always kind of looking for that excitement, looking for that satisfaction, taking her medications as well, because Tanya probably got some real good meds, just never being satisfied and doesn't know what she wants and is all over the place and what she wants. So we see at first she goes with Albi, but she's just unhappy with him. Not unhappy, but just not satisfied with him. She's seemingly bored by him, barely listens to him at all. And, like, they do a little kiss, but outside of that, they don't really do much. She got to know his family. So that was cute, and that just didn't work out. Like, eh. I feel like we my time got wasted with that, because there's really not much I could say about that relationship, but... Then she moves on to Jack, who's a little more, not a little more. He's very exciting. He's dangerous. He's a kind of a bad boy. And she's very attracted to that. But she doesn't know where that will lead. And she's just going with the flow of things until we see definitely by episode five. He's a little like off. He's very off. But maybe episode six. But he's very off. 
at this point very unpredictable has a shady past and she can't necessarily trust him anymore but i feel like in a way she was being naive just like tanya like she just refused to kind of like get to actually know him she was so caught up in what she how he was making her feel that she wasn't kind of like really opening her eyes to a lot which resulted in her getting played so ironically in the end both her and albie got played by people they thought were good for them and made them feel a certain way and we kind of see there's this kind of mutual kind of respect we're on the same level we're on the same page the same shit happened to us kind of page at the end where uh they exchange each other's numbers so maybe um maybe we'll see i'll be i don't know because now we see they're connected in a way so and that's tani's assistant so i don't know if maybe criminal investigators will start asking her questions who knows i don't know but portia as a character is like yeah it's like she was she was there i like I like that kind of team of her and Tanya. That was really funny, especially when they were like figuring out the mystery together over the phone. Like that was really funny. I enjoyed their dynamic because it was like big Tanya, little Tanya in a way. But yeah, I liked her little outfits, her little sweaters and stuff. They, those were definitely cute. I like her style. But overall, it's like, yeah. I think their their storylines were definitely the most interesting, though, for sure. But there's not much I can say. And I think at the end, I think she probably, like, sees, probably appreciates the silent, quieter moments of life. You know what I mean? And she got what she wanted. She got what she asked for. She wanted to feel alive. She wanted that danger. She wanted that, like, you know. And it's funny that when... um I don't know if all Albie suggested or Jack was like, just get off your phone or just don't use your phone. And her phone was taken away. And of course she needed it to contact Tanya, but it was kind of ironic that uh, her phone was taken away and she got every, I think that's another thing. I feel like the words that people are saying, they got everything that they asked for, but just in a karmic way, like Albie and his karmic payment and the fortune teller and Tanya at seeing questioning whether Belinda from season one put a hex on her and Portia wanting to experience life. And I feel like everybody got a certain karma in a certain way. And I feel like that's in tandem with kind of just the storytelling of just Greek mythology as well. Like there's always these karmic, tragic figures. And I feel like that was more evident in the the DNA of the stories that were told. And we also like with the myth with the 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 Testy Demore where the local woman kills the man because he found out she found out that he had like a, a child and a wife. But we see with Harper and Ethan as they were fucking we're about to fuck the the statue broke. So it was as if like that kind of curse that kind of like or that shadow that was kind of hovering over them throughout the whole series was now gone like that wasn't even a factor anymore uh so i feel like it worked well with how i feel like mythology is the myth the characters in mythology are played out and i feel like that provided a different storytelling element that wasn't there in uh season one i feel like season one didn't really have that kind of like it had tragedy but the ways in which I feel like it was kind of a, a a mystical element more so for season two. And of course I love the direction. I love Mike White. Like I feel like the way in which he floats and weaves these natural landscapes and imagery and art. Like I really felt like I was there with them and I was able to appreciate and actually like see like how I'm trying to how I'm trying to describe it, like see that karmic storytelling. Like he really used the landscape and shit like the volcano, the water, the the paintings, the the sky, the the little figures, like the architecture, like statues. Like he really used the elements around him to really like dig into the characters and tell a good, rich story. So 
I really enjoyed that. And I like season two. I don't think it should be compared to season one. I think it's its own. It's 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 connected in a lot of ways, but I like these anthologies where it's kind of we're in different locations to tell a different story. And I really, really enjoy just the setting of the hotel because we're in these kind of dreamlike landscapes where reality doesn't seem to play a part, but reality still comes with these characters and affects them in the most dangerous of ways. And the, it exposes who they really are just because they're on this hotel, not where their usual life and work is doesn't mean that they're completely different people. I think they try to be different people, but we see that ends up bubbling up and exposes who they are, like I said before. So I really enjoy season two. We know season three is confirmed. So I'm really excited for season three. I feel like everybody's going to try to figure out where they're going to be, but I feel like he just doesn't choose places just to choose places. Like I think he's very, Mike White is very intentional with, the settings and how they how it interplays with the character so we see hawaii sicily i don't think he needs to go to a black country he needs to stay with telling white stories and white wealthy gay characters and all stuff like that i i would like to see a black some black characters but i'm of the belief you need to stick to what you know you don't need we need to stop trying to force these white creators to force in black characters just for the sake of diversity and all that like stick to what y'all know have black people tell have us tell our own stories if you're going to have a black person let let the let the producers be black too you know let the cinematographer be black let the director be black you know if you're going to have black characters don't just sprinkle the talent to make it seem like you know this is a diverse cast you know but still have them act and be white or unrealistic you know what i mean but that's neither here or there right now i don't know what season three might be i'm thinking i wonder if they'll go to asia like thailand that would be pretty cool i don't know about south america but i i feel like i don't know thailand or bali you know something like that would be very 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 cool so who knows who knows i'm gonna be on the lookout all the time to see what the settings are the characters um i'm probably gonna be up all night tonight just looking at white lotus season two like just theories and just what people think and the breakdown so yeah i said this was going to be a quick video but it wasn't but i feel like it was a very thorough breakdown of just the characters a really quick one what well, quick in the sense where i just zooming through people's character storylines episodes stuff like that but i wanted this to be like 30 minutes but whatever um but yeah i hope y'all enjoyed this breakdown and yeah just make sure you tune into the next episode uh as usual as always i enjoy talking shit with y'all talking about tv film what have you and yeah tune into the next episode i'll see y'all later